to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 11. It is uh, relatively close to the beginning of the Bible. It's the 10th book in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. And uh, we've been looking at, uh, in a series called In Good Company, and we're looking at different characters from Scripture, and not to elevate them to say, man, if only we could be like these people, but rather to say, what what do we learn? What is the grace for today that we can gather for our lives based on their lives. And we find that we're in good company with a lot of people who, many who love the Lord, wanted to follow him, but had their ups and downs. And so we want to learn about the character and the heart of our God through their lives. And we've taken a couple weeks to look at the life of David because really there's so much written about David. Uh, There's more written about uh, David in the Old Testament than um, any other character, actually. More chapters dedicated to him. So we're taking a few weeks on him. This is the last week we want to look at David's life. Uh, But the question that we have here for us today is, what does it look like, who is a person after God's own heart? Because we find in scripture that David was actually described as someone after God's own heart. And so the question is, who, who is that? What does it look like to be after God's own heart? We found in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14, this is when God spoke to the prophet Samuel to King Saul and said, hey, no, your, your heart has gone away from the Lord. And he says this, your kingdom will not continue. This is Samuel speaking to Saul and said, the Lord seeks a man after his own heart to be king. So we're looking for someone new and that would then we eventually find is David. In Acts chapter 13, verse 22, when they're speaking about David, it speaks about him in in, in the New Testament and they quote and say, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart who will fulfill all my will. So we find throughout scripture that David is this king who's described as a person after God's own heart. So the question for us today is who is a person after God's own heart? Because I don't know about you, but if there is a compliment that, or, or something that I could be known about or said of by God, I think being called a person after God's own heart sounds pretty good to me. That sounds like something that I would say, you know what, Lord, if you could say anything about me, if you said, hey, you, Ryan, when I look at you, you are a man after my own heart, I think, man, what better compliment could that possibly be? I think of all the, the students that I've uh, coached in, in different sports, and I think, man, when I have the, those players that I really like, I look at them and think, like, man, you are, you're a man after my own heart. I, you see the game the way I see it. You have that passion that I have. I just, you are, you, my favorite players are, are players like that. And so I think of, as God looks at our lives, and how could he describe us, couldn't, can you imagine if God said, hey, angels, I want you to see this guy. This guy, this is a man after my own heart. This is a woman after my own heart. This is someone who, they they are the type of person that gets it. When I read that in scripture, I think, man, I want to be that. How can we be that? That must be someone who has just such great passion for the Lord and never stumbles, never falls, just is always up there, has this great faith and trust. In fact, we saw David a couple weeks ago, right? He, he faced this giant, and he never saw that as an underdog story. He said, no, the battle is the Lord's. I'm trusting God in this. He's the one that, the battle's already won. This giant has no chance because the Lord God Almighty is the one who fights the battles. This great trust. We saw last week David was having spears thrown at him by the guy who he was going to supersede as a king. And you'd think, 
I'd throw the spears back. But no, David has this ruthless trust that God was in control of the circumstances, that his whole very identity was secure in the hands of God. I think, wow, this is a man after God's own heart, just this radical trust in who God was, this godly life that he lived. This is a man after God's own heart. So today we're going to keep reading about this man after God's own heart. We're going to see what it looks like. So in 2 Samuel chapter 11, maybe it's familiar to you. I mean, this is the, this is the guy that we're told is, is, has the heart of God. In chapter 11, it says this. It happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servant with him and all of Israel. And they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem. But now when evening came, David arose from his bed. He walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. That woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is that not Bathsheba? The daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And David sent messengers and took her. And when she came to him, he lay with her And when she'd purified herself from her uncleanliness, she returned to her house. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David, and said, I'm pregnant. A man after God's own heart. Wait a minute. So David sent to Joab, saying, send Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David, and when Uriah came to him, David asked concerning the welfare of Joab and the people and the state of war, And David said to Uriah, hey, go down to your house tonight. Wash your feet. And Uriah went down to the king's house, and and a present from the king was sent after him. And that was like a, a feast, a meal was sent to him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of the Lord. He did not go down to his house. And now when David was told this, saying Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to him, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your own house? And Uriah said, The ark of Israel and Judah are staying in temporary shelters. My lord Joab and the servants of the Lord are uh, of my house are, are down, wait, sorry, and servants of the Lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? By your life and the life of your soul, I would never do this thing. So David said to Uriah, Okay. Great, thank you. Stay here. Today also, and tomorrow I'll let you go. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now David called him, and he ate and drank before him. And David made him drunk. And in the evening, Uriah went out to lie on his bed with his Lord's servant, but did not go to his own house. So in the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He had written in the letter saying, Place Uriah in in the front line of the fiercest battle, And withdraw from him so that he may be struck down and die. If you are new to scripture here today, and you've never heard this story, you should have the same question we all should have. Is how can a man after God's own heart be so stupid? How can he, are you kidding me? This is the guy who killed the giant. This is the guy who's trusted God in battle after battle. This is the guy who writes half of the Psalms that we have, praising God, singing of his faithfulness, singing of his goodness, and he does this? What What in the world is going on here? 
Today what I want to do is I want to kind of look through this story again and see how easy it is for our hearts to stray. But we want to keep going back to that question of who's a person after God's own heart? What is it really about this instant in David's life? This didn't erase that description of him. So what is going on in the heart of God's people that you can even have something this egregious happen in your life and still be described as someone after God's own heart? What is really at the heart of this? So let's look back at the story and see what happened. Because what we're going to see here is the progression of sin and how we get ourselves in these situations sometimes. Now when I speak of sin today, I I also will speak of just how our hearts kind of wander from God. There's so many people who maybe you can't pinpoint the one thing or the one moment, but you just find yourself, years later, you look back and say, I, I, I used to have this belief. I used to be passionate. I used to think about the Lord. I used to kind of, that was part of who I am, and now it's so far away. And want to see that this story kind of gives us an idea of the progression of how easy it is for our hearts to stray, but also we want to land with where's the hope? Where's the hope in all of this? So let's go back to the story. It starts off, and says, it happened in the spring when the kings go out to battle, and David sent his servants, sent Joab, who is the commander of his army, and his servants to go fight this battle. Now, a lot of people will say, well, there's the problem right there. At the time of spring when kings go off to battle, David stayed home. Now, that might be true, but it was not always the practice for kings to go into battle. There's other things kings did. They didn't always fight the wars. But this is at least the beginning of, okay, there's one thing that now David is left alone in the city with some of his advisors and a whole, all the warriors are gone. So that's, okay, one thing we can think about, but that's not necessarily the only issue going on here. But when evening came, David went out and walked around on the house in the cool of the evening. He's cool himself in the palace, and he looks over and he sees a woman bathing on the rooftop. Is this where it all goes wrong? I mean, David's just hanging out, and he looks over and sees somebody. So maybe here, this is, it's sometimes hard to know when sin begins and where indiscretion ends. You know, at, at this point, is he just hanging out, and he looks over like, oh, whoops, all right, bounce your eyes. I heard some of you guys say sometimes, like, looking once isn't the sin, looking the twice is when you, all of a sudden there's the sin, right? Like, who, who is that? Hey, binoculars, let me see that. I just want to try, try to see your face. See if I recognize her. <laughs> I don't know about you, but when I hear this story, I kind of think like, what is this? What's even this scenario? How is he looking on the rooftop of someone else? And uh, I, I want to give you a couple of images that will help. Uh, this is, this, don't worry, they're clean images. That sounds really bad. <laughs> Got some images of the story. That <laughs> Let me see the first slide here. This is in archaeology. This is a rendering of... Uh, of the city of David in the time of when David was king. This is about the size of Jerusalem. On uh, the left side of your image there, that's where the palace is on the very top of the hill. It's actually a pretty steep hill. And so the palace, they have remains of a palace. They're hoping to find evidence that, that David was in the palace. They do have evidence all the way back at least to King Josiah. Even earlier, they found a stamp of the, his seal and the servant of the king. They have a guy named Nathan, the servant of the king. They found his seal. So we know that in the, this is roughly the uh, size of it at the time of David. Uh, go to the next image. 
image there. We have one more that will give you a little, uh, also this is a, a rendering of a model. The top half of this one is what it looked like when Solomon became king. So uh, the bottom kind of two-thirds was when David was. But you can see that where the palace is, in this case, kind of right in the middle, and all the houses below it are quite a, a distance below the palace. So if you are hanging out in the palace, you can see everything. And, and in Solomon, this is Jerusalem under King Solomon, and the very top there was the temple, and then the palace would be the right next thing below that. And so you'd always go up the hill uh, to things that are more and more important. And so in the time of David, you have the palaces at the top of the hill, so he could actually see, and this is not a very large area, actually. It's probably from here to, uh, think of it, to Santa Fe Road. is about the distance from the palace to the bottom of the of city of Jerusalem when David was king there. But it was very steep. So he could probably see almost all the rooftops. And he could see the rooftop here where Bathsheba was bathing. Now, the big question is, is what's she doing on the rooftop bathing and did she know that the king, I mean, certainly everyone knew the king could see what's going on there. Now, we're not going to accuse Bathsheba of anything here. She did nothing wrong, okay? Put that out of your mind. She's not in the wrong here. David is in the wrong here. So he sees her, and he says, hey, who is that? And when it comes back, and they say, it's, it's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now, Uriah is listed as one of David's 30 mighty warriors, Often in, in scripture, he has his close army, but this is his closest, there's, thir there's actually 37 of them, but they're called the 30, uh, of David's mighty warriors. Uriah the Hittite is one of those. So this is someone that even David would know. He's a mighty warrior. He's living in a home close, probably to the palace. He has some relationship, probably already with David. And when they say that, isn't that Bathsheba? Isn't that Uriah's wife? At that point, this is when you would hope that David would just say, oh my goodness, I I'm sorry, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, great, I need to, you know, time to go to bed. <laughs> but he says, oh, okay, send her up here. And what we find in this story is that when we think about sin and the progression of sin is it usually begins really small. Sin usually begins small. It began, maybe that first look was no big deal, but the second look, and then as soon as he says, hey, who is that anyway? Let's take that next step. It's so easy for us to take that next step because it doesn't seem like a big deal. There's no harm in asking who it is. But you find that, why does he need to know that if he's not thinking, well, you know, maybe she's single, maybe, who knows? His heart was already starting to go down that road. Sometimes it's hard to see that beginning where sin begins. But when we look back often you say, oh, if only I would have ignored this or stopped this or didn't go here, didn't put myself in this situation. But David, who's home alone with his advisors, there's no mighty warriors in here. He takes that first step. And that often happens in our lives. It begins slowly. As our hearts wander away from God, sometimes it just begins slowly. Maybe you had a time in your life where you're passionate about the Lord and, and you couldn't wait to wake up in the morning and read from scripture or you couldn't wait to worship and when the music would start through musical worship, your heart would just come alive and then you'd notice like, oh, you know, I, I kind of missed that for a couple weeks. I missed that for maybe a month and now it's been, yeah, it's been six months and all of a sudden, it doesn't even feel a part of your life anymore. 
it's hard to see where that beginning starts. But David starts and the sin begins small. He sends for her. She gets pregnant. Now, at this point, you would hope a man after God's own heart would say, oh my goodness, I've sinned. What's wrong with me? I'm so sorry. How are we, we need to call Uriah here. This is gonna be hard, but the the man of God, a man after God's own heart, we're gonna own up to this and take care of it. But (laughs) he does what's very natural, is it not? How can I find a way out of this? How can I just find a way that this will just go away? I got it. She's pregnant. Let's make sure they don't know who it is. Let's have Uriah come home. And Uriah in this story, and this is a twist in ancient literature, he's the righteous one. He says, no, 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 how dare, I would never do such a thing. I would never give myself pleasure while the rest of the army is out there in the fields camping. King, you know better, you know me better than that. I would never do that. How dare me even think that way? David's thinking, oh my goodness, oh, these self-righteous people, what's wrong with them? Okay, I got you. One, one more night. Come back tomorrow. Come back tomorrow. He hangs out with them the next day. They put on a game. He opens up some extra IPAs, 9%. He's like, hey, have a couple more of these. Go ahead, Uriah. This is really good. It's a Jerusalem blend. Oh, so good. <laughs> he gets Uriah drunk and says, now go home. Now go home to your wife. I know where this is leading. He's like, okay, Hate to have to do that, but at least they did that. Uriah still says, how could I dare do such a thing? He sleeps with the other soldiers. So then David says, okay, this isn't working. This guy is way too smart. Here's what we're going to do. We'll just kill him. We'll just kill him. Are you kidding me? Have any of you read this story and thought like, okay, Lord, seriously, this feels like a little bit of an escalation here. (laughs) This is like, David, how do you go from, oh no, I made a mistake, let's get him drunk, now let's kill him. I mean, that sounds, that's kind of quick growth there of the sin. But we find that sin, when it's unchecked, it gets easier and it spirals out of control. When you have unchecked sin, it just gets easier and easier. And it starts to spiral out of control. What would have happened if one of David's advisors said, King, please, let's not do this. I see what you're up to. Okay, you made one mistake. But it's getting, let's not go there. David, there's a way out. God is gracious. He'll forgive. Let's move on. Let's talk to Uriah. It's gonna, let's just stop here, David. But nobody checked it. It didn't get checked. There's a principle that uh, Larry Osborne writes, and he talks about glass house living or glass door living, and it's this idea of having glass doors that people can look into your life. Now, we don't want, you, you don't want everybody looking into your life, but are there, is there anyone who can look into your life? Is there anybody who doesn't have to knock and kind of open the door and say, hey, what are you doing in there, but can just look in? This is the way we can have unchecked, this is the way we can have sin checked in our lives. This is why I I have no problem with my wife has the passwords to my computer and to my phone and all of this just in case. If she ever wants to see what I've been searching or who I've been texting or who I've been hanging out with, she can look. This is a glass door in my life that it's important that we have these. 
Because King David is a man after God's own heart and he wasn't smart enough to figure this out. All the doors in our kids' rooms and our offices here at the church have windows on them. The reason we have windows is glass door living. So if someone walks by, they can see what's going on. Now some of you say like, oh, you don't trust each other. Like, no, we're stupid, we're people. King David's a man after God's own heart. Let's have glass door living. It might just be people in your life that can ask you questions. But here's the thing. This is something in the church. We say, well, I have an accountability partner. You know what? Those don't work at all. They don't work unless you are honest. Okay? A lot of us have accountability partners that we lie to all the time. Sorry. This is quiet this morning. (laughs) Unchecked living, you have to have people in your life who aren't impressed that you're the king. You have to have people who aren't impressed with your power, who aren't afraid of how you'll respond if they say, hey, what you're doing right now, I'm not sure I like where you're going. You have to have people that you trust, that you let in, and that let you in. Otherwise, it spirals out of control. It is so easy, and often we don't even know it spiraled out of control until you look back and say, I have no idea how I got here. Many of you, we've had these conversations. Or you said to me, I don't know how I got from here to here. How I got from a healthy marriage to a marriage that fell apart. I don't know. My friend, many years ago, he, he drove this Jeep Wrangler's pretty cool car. And one day he called me. He's like, hey, my engine blew up on the freeway. Just died. Threw a rod. Seized up. It's done. I have to get a new engine. It's like, well, what happened? He's like, and he's like, oh, my oil light was on. It's like, oh, that's weird. How long was it on? Well, it came on like six months ago. And the first day it came on, I freaked out. I got home and I I jumped out of my car and I I checked the oil and it was really low. And I thought, I got to deal with this. But I didn't have time that night. And the next day I had to get to work, but I only worked a couple miles away. So I drove into the office. No big deal. I saw the check. I said, okay, I got to deal with this today. But then I didn't have time and... Day after day it went by, but I was only going short distances. And before I knew it, I just got used to the oil light that was on. Got used to it. And then one day, six months later, I'm on the freeway, driving a long distance. I had been out of oil for who knows how long. Burned up, seized the engine, and now it blew up. This is what happened in David's life. This is what happens in a lot of our lives. That first day that check oil light comes on, we see it and we say, we got to deal with this. But every day we get used to that light, we start ignoring it. It goes away. It's just a little light. The only time we notice it is if someone else sits in your car and says, hey, your check oil light's on. And we say, yeah, it's been like that a long time. It's no big deal. Some of you are feeling convicted about that right now. You need to go change your oil today. Come on. (laughs) But unchecked sin gets easier and easier. It gets easier. See, no one spoke into David's life. The next step of sin is it becomes familiar. He actually has Uriah killed. And then in chapter 12, all of a sudden a prophet named Nathan, who David trusted, he shows up on the scene. Beginning of 2 Samuel chapter chapter 12, Nathan the prophet goes to David. He came to him and said, David, I have a story for you. There were two men in one city. 
The one was rich, the other was poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little lamb, which he brought up and nourished, and it grew up with him just with his children. He would eat of its bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom. He was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and the rich man was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the traveler who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. That's a brutal story. And David's anger burned greatly against the man. He said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, that man who's done this deserves to die. He must make restitution for that lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. How dare he do this? How dare this rich man in a position of power take from someone else? See, sin, once it starts to spiral out of control, becomes very familiar. It becomes so familiar that it's hard to even see it. It brings us to another principle of our sin is it's always easy to recognize the sins of others. It's a lot easier to see where you are going wrong than it is to see where I'm going wrong. Because I live in my mess and I'm pretty comfortable with it. But my mess isn't as bad as your mess. See, David couldn't even see that he was the person in the story. He was a person in a position of power who had everything he could possibly want. And yet he took from someone who had less. He couldn't even see that he was that person. Nathan responds in verse 7. said, David, you are this man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, it is I who anointed you king over Israel. It is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house. I gave you your wives into your care. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you many more things. Amazing, isn't it? God says, David, you had everything you need, and if you didn't have all you need, I would even give you more. How many of us look at our lives and say, well, I don't have what this person has. I mean, that person has a wife. I'm single. That person has a great job. Mine isn't as good, so I need to cut some corners. That person has these people. that, That person just had a better upbringing than me. See, we can look and we get really familiar with our own lives and we point our fingers at others and God's saying, do you not understand? I want, you, I want to lavish my love on you. I want to lavish my life on you. I want to give you all these good things. I want to bless you. I want to walk with you. And if that hadn't been enough, I'll give you even more. I want to walk with you in your life. And it's so easy for us to look and see what we don't have. It becomes familiar One thing I often say, and I won't say it again, is this. The sin that God is most concerned about is yours. The sin that God is most concerned about is your sin, not someone else's. See, it's so easy for you to get comfortable in your heterosexual immorality that you can condemn someone in their homosexual immorality because that's not your issue. You've got yours, but theirs is bad, not yours. No, God says no, and guess what sins I'm concerned about? Yours. Your issue. That's the one God's concerned about. Because we get familiar with it. He wants to deal with it. So what's our response? This is a great way to start summer, isn't it? You know, something light. (laughs) 
So what is a person after God's own heart? A person after God's own heart. If David is, how do we have hope? What does that look like? I want to invite you to turn to Psalm chapter 51. This was David's response to his sin. And I think there's a few things in here that we can learn. As David speaks in this psalm about what he learned about the character of God or how a man after God's own heart responds. First thing is this, is remember the character of God. He says this, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you I have sinned and done what's evil in your sight. So you are justified when you speak and you are blameless when you judge me. See, a person after God's own heart remembers the character of God. The person we will, men and women who we will keep going back to the character of God. Be gracious unto me for you are gracious, you're compassionate, you're loving, you're just in your judgments of me. But we keep going back to God, remind me of who you are. Tell me of who you are. I wanna remember that you are faithful. I wanna remember what Jesus did on the cross. I wanna remember that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. I wanna remember that nothing can separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus my Lord. A person after God's own heart keeps going back to the character of God instead of trying to find it in yourself. See if David said okay, okay, I screwed up, let me make it up to you, Lord. I'm gonna sacrifice a thousand bulls. I'm never gonna touch another one. I'm gonna, God, I'm gonna make this right. That's misunderstanding the character of God. That's thinking we can somehow manipulate and earn God's character and love in our lives. That's actually trashing what Christ did on the cross, thinking that our actions can somehow undo what he did, and you can't. The good news of Jesus is that nothing you have done will do or ever even think or experience can undo what Christ did on the cross for you. That's the good news. A person after God's own heart keeps going back to that reminder. Let's keep going back to the reminder, Jesus, this is who you are and what you have done. Remember the good news. And you might say, no, 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 no. That good news is way too good. Let me just remind you this morning, you're right, it is. It's too good. It's so good, only God would think of it. Because if a human thought of this, we would make it so much more humanistic. David understood that it was the goodness of God and not what he could do. A person after God's own heart keeps leaning on the promises of God. I don't know about you, but I've done some dumb things, but I've never done what David did. Cheat on somebody and then have him killed. Haven't done it. I haven't even thought of that. (laughs) I hope I don't ever even come close. The audacity of David to appeal to God's character in this situation showed that he really understood who his God was. Some of you are so afraid to turn to God in the moments of your sin, but you are missing out on how good he is to you. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So a person after God's own heart Remembers the character of God. In Romans chapter two, verse four, it's a great verse for you to remember. Do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God is what leads you to repentance? When we look at who God is, that's what draws our hearts back. 
Not when we look at God and say, if only I could earn you back. No, because of what you have done, my heart wants to turn to you. One other thing, a couple other things. Person after God's own heart seeks what God seeks. Look at Psalm 51, verse 6 and 10. It says this, Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part you make me know wisdom. Verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. A person after God's own heart says, God, what do you desire of my life? That's what I desire. I want to know you. You want truth in my innermost being. That's what I want. See, when we find ourselves straying away, just stop where you are. Go back to the character of God. Plead with him. And finally, this is what I love. Verse 17 of Psalm 51. Person after God's own heart offers a right sacrifice. What's the sacrifice? The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise or you will not reject. You will, re- you will not reject a heart that is broken and comes back to you. We've often said the phrase from Lo- uh, uh, Leonard Cohen, he says there's a, cr- a break, or there's a crack in everyone. That's how the light gets through. Hey, we are broken people walking through this life, but we are made whole because of what Jesus has done. The light of Jesus shines in those broken places. When we take that broken heart that says, God, I'm so, I'm so sorry, I'm a sinner. Would you just take my broken life? Lord, would you take my broken heart? Would you renew the spirit within me? God will not reject a heart that comes to him and says, there but by the grace of God go, I need you, Lord. I need your love. I need your grace. I need what Christ did on the cross. A person after God's own heart knows to keep offering that. David didn't say, Lord, what do you need? I'll up my tithe this week. Will that do it? I'll read five more chapters in the Bible this week. Would that do it? No, God, take my broken heart. I offer it to you. Would you make it whole? See, when we look at a story like this, we would make a mistake if we say the goal here is to somehow become like David or somehow become like Jesus. Now, we want to be like Jesus. Don't get me wrong. I love the way Tim Keller says it, though. If Jesus is only an example for us to follow, that will crush you. You will never be able to live up to it. But if Jesus is the Lamb of God, that will save you and bring you life. As the worship team makes their way back up, this morning we're in all kinds of different places. Some of you might be here this morning and this message is the one you did not want to hear because you think I wrote it for you. And I didn't. God wrote it for us. Some of you are here today and you are testimonies of the fact that you can fall pretty far from God and yet when you land on his grace, you find hope and renewal and new life. I hope that's all of our story. Some of you, maybe today, this is a reminder to wherever you are that you need to stop. You need to check the oil. Some of you today, though, just need to be reminded of who God is. And know that if you come with a heavy burden thinking, how am I ever going to pay this back? That today Jesus says, lay down your burden and take mine. Because my yoke is easy, my burden is light. I have already given you life. 
I've given you all you need, and if that's not enough, I would have given you even more. Would you just lean on the character and the love of God this morning? Would you lean on the grace of Jesus today? Would you respond to that grace? Would we be people of truth and hope and light, which is what this world needs? It's what you need and I need, our friends need. And it's not found in our ability to somehow be perfect, but it's found in the ability of God to be perfect and live that life through us. Can we be that? My guess is that when we live our lives reminded of the truth of who God is and we're men and women after God's own heart, that there's nothing more compelling than that in this world. That that's the very thing that will draw more and more to Jesus. And we want to be a church that sees more and more people discover life in Christ. I don't know about you, but I don't want to keep this truth to myself. This is too good. So as we finish our time, let's respond and just respond with just this broken and contrite hearts that say, Lord, we need you. And we have the best place in the whole world to turn to a loving, gracious creator God who calls you and me his children. So I want to ask you to uh, just, as we end, I'm going to pray and we're going to sing a song. If you want to join in and stand, you can stand. If you want to kneel, you can kneel. If you need to raise your hands, this is a sign of surrender. Feel free. Let's just let God speak to us and move in this place however you want to respond as we lean on the character and the goodness of God. Lord, we thank you so much. I thank you so much that when you describe someone after your own heart, that you don't give us an example of someone who never failed. But Lord, you gave us an example of someone who failed so miserably that the only place to turn was you. God, let that be a reminder to every single one of us in here that what you have already done, you've given us the solution. Lord, and we're all David. We've all wandered, we've all strayed, we all have our moments. We get familiar with our own sin. Yet Lord, you have given us hope because of who you are. So we offer you now our broken and contrite hearts, Lord. We want you to fill us, not any of that other stuff. So we give you this time now in Jesus' name.